Welcome, everyone, to the Hilliard Beacon is episode 24, and for the first time ever, I called it an episode. Sure, let's do it. Why not? We're starting uh, another one of our favorite little get-togethers this week with a quick tour of the room. Tim, how are you doing today? I feel like 100 bucks, Jordan. Thank you for asking. Tim Hoffman reacting, uh, as I knew he would, to my break of the conventional format. Just rolling with the punches. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> I know just what to do. Kevin Corvo also joining us today. Thanks for coming in after a full day of substituting. Good afternoon. I was in Dublin School District today. It's a uh, beautiful day. This is my favorite time of season in the fall. Um, the World Series will be coming up, and uh, I do enjoy the cooler evenings and the warmer days and the and the transition um, through fall. Yeah, baseball so. that matters and, uh, you know, a, a more tolerable environment. We'll, we'll take it. My favorite thing about this season is the ripe red chili peppers. Harvest time in the Hoffman household. Indeed. And, my and you can tell what the principal crop is. Yes, it's mostly <laughs> peppers, also tomatoes. Making their way into the pies, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Rome is is that the preferred sauce generator it is the roma tomato has it's uh quite meaty actually excellent i uh saw a wonderful uh short video presentation i was scrolling through reels and i saw an, a traditional italian family celebrating what they called sauce day yeah. and it's just a huge process of transforming tomatoes to sauce Usually, uh, that usually happens on Sundays. Mm -hmm. And bring them over after church and get to business. Yes, bring them over, you know. And many of those actually will call it gravy. Mm. A lot of the homemade sauce pros actually they're gravy sayers. The only thing I know about sauce generation, I learned from Goodfellas, and I assume it's gospel. <laughs> That's how you make sauce in prison. Hey. Hey. Speaking of how you do Don't things. Don't use in too many onions. Don't use too many onions. <laughs> Slice them thin, you fool. I didn't use too many Slice onions. Slice them thin. But speaking of, Tim, thank you for that alley-oop, uh, because I got to say, the most riveting piece of journalism I read this week was from uh, a fellow substacker. goes by the handle of The Rooster. DJ Burns, a Columbus uh, reporter here who has been ruffling the feathers of <laughs> uh, local politics and state-level politicians for the past year or so. And he broke a story uh, yesterday, or two days ago maybe now, that details the, I guess you would say, uh, ultimate fate of one uh, former Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder. And that uh, after his sentencing and after a brief detour to Oklahoma, he has now uh, been reported to uh, FCI Elkton, which is in my hometown of Lisbon, Ohio. <laughs> uh, and I just thought that that was a, uh, a, a remarkable uh, and fitting uh, final end to that story. And I thought it was interesting since we had Cynthia Vermillion and Dan Rowley in to talk about the electric aggregation agreement and the AEP First Energy bribe uh, scandal that led to Householder's downfall and the uh, eventual re removal of him as the GOP speaker um, finally comes to a conclusion with a quick jaunt to a, what do you call it, a medium security uh, federal penitentiary or low security? Let's see here. Let's dive into DJ's article and see where we go. He first... Uh, to let you know, talks to a guy by the name of uh, Johnny Bartolomeo. He's a Boston native whom the federal government once sentenced to 35 years in prison. So everything cited in this story comes from this guy's experience through the federal correction system. Mm. And uh, he has a lot of experience in all these different levels of security prison and the ins and outs of all these different things and what it means to be serving time in these different environments so he talks about uh elkton opposite of this country club uh perspective that people tend to have for white collar criminals like householder 
I'm quoting directly from the article here. Um, he goes on to say, uh, first, let's see, he, he gives a little bit of background information and gives Bartolomeo uh, a chance to kind of tell his story through the article. And that's a really, he's working now to uh, give people guidance on how to come into and out of prison sentences and things like that. So he's working now on the outside and trying to help people as they transition and move through that rehabilitation. May we never need his advice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he credits his early release after 27 years to his ability to keep his head down. He says he need exercise every day, learn as much as possible. Uh, and he quotes Malcolm X here. And he says, uh, Malcolm X said, prisons are second only to college campuses as places to learn. And that's the extent of his uh, advice to householder, really. Uh, is that you've got to do something for your body and your mind every day. And he says in places all through his internment, he was in 12 different federal institutions. He goes, uh, here the direct quote is, I've seen stabbings, I've seen murders, I've seen vicious assaults. I've seen a lot of things that would shake your core, and the only thing you can do with them is witness and experience them. When I say I made it out of there, you never know what tomorrow brings. And he says uh, here, this is a very interesting point. Ironically, Bartolomeo stated he preferred life in penitentiaries, which are the more high security facilities, and medium security camps to low security places like Elkton. He said the overcrowding of low security prisons led to more violence, particularly during the pandemic. He says, make no mistake about it, you can get your head bashed in on a low security prison. There's always a threat of violence in low security prisons because there are a lot of people. Those were the worst to me because they were so overpopulated. At Elkton, 10 people died during COVID with 70 people uh, sent to outside hospitals. That's a whole other thing. When I see all these people coming out from all different locations, from the blocks, from the rec, from the R&D, from the mailroom, from the library, from the chow hall, it was oppressive. Even a guy like me would have had an anxiety attack. Uh, the overcrowding can breed a special kind of petty hatred for your fellow prisoners. In that environment, that's all you have. Your whole life is that environment. You're there 24-7 with these people. And he does uh, <laughs> suggest that Householder might find a little bit of comfort in the fact that that's, uh, it's all politics, Bartolomeo remarked. There's politics at every security level. There's a lot of politics in low-security prisons. Uh, it's about geographical cliques. Perhaps he'll rise ways. to the top uh, yet again. Well, he he does. <laughs> I don't know. He he does have a lot of uh, advice in um, <laughs> in this regard. Uh, DJ says directly to Bartolomeo what advice he would give to Householder, a 64 year old corrupt politician who had never served a day in prison before being sentenced to 20 years on racketeering. The first thing I, I mean, this is the poll paragraph. The first quote is, don't commit suicide, try not to get cornered in a bathroom, walk like you're not scared, walk like you own the place, but that comes with problems as well. If you walk like you own the place, somebody might call you out on it. <laughs> I got to tell you, uh, this one brought a smile to my face. Uh, you don't get to... Um, perpetrate the largest financial crime in the history of the state from one of the highest seats of power uh, and walk away clean. And now you have that kind of life to live out for 20 years as a result of that conduct. And I got to say, from everything I've read and everything I've heard, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. <laughs> well, thank you uh, again. And I would like to add, I will be adding links to uh, – the rooster as a publication i think everybody should subscribe at least to the free feed and spread the word about the guy's journalism he's doing a great job shaking things up and asking relevant questions to people who should have answers and it's not just being reactionary it's targeting the locus of power that actually has institutional control to make decisions and to make lives better and or worse here uh in ohio so uh, give the rooster a look and uh, take a chance on a free subscription and upgrade to paid if you can. But, Kevin, let's kick mm -hmm. it over to more local concerns. Okay. 
we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the new story that's coming out and developing from us. You'll be probably sending that over to me later tonight, and we'll try to have that out by Friday, where we talk about the happenings at Mill Run. So why don't you start us in on that? Okay, if you've noticed, uh, there's fencing up now where Movies 11 used to be. Mm-hmm. We could talk about what movies we've seen at Movies 11. We could come up with a top 10 prison movie list. We, we almost, could recommend to Larry. We almost put that? in bids on a lot of stuff at that Movies 11 auction. <laughs> there were an oppressive number of PAs, <clears throat> wall fixtures. I mean, they took that thing down to the studs. They were selling doors. Yes, <clears throat> and there was a huge chandelier that was something like... 10 foot by 10 foot or something you had to be able to bring it down in order to actually win the bid on it right didn't they have movie promotional posters you could have put some oh, things up in there right. you could have put things around the, the vintage the was a, shop around the vintage the was shop. a little off for my interest i will right. admit right little fresh like little mermaid but the one no one went and saw all the stuff <laughs> all the stuff that's come out within the last i want to say they had things going back about five years Probably just stuffed in a closet somewhere, but doesn't exactly scratch my mid-century itch as far as uh, movie posters are concerned. But tell us a little bit more about yeah. what's going uh, to happen to the site. Movies 11 will be demolished. Uh, we could have a whole other podcast on the fate of America movie theaters and how many are left. Uh, but uh, demolition is imminent uh, for Joey Chang's and for Movies 11, and uh, there's one other a parcel building that will be demolished uh, to make way for, what do you think? Apartments. apartments. So um, the variance to allow the apartments uh, was approved by Columbus City Council in the spring. Uh, demolition is not quite ready to happen yet. I called the Columbus Planning and Zoning uh the Columbus Planning and Zoning Department and the demolition company uh, still needs to dot some I's and cross some T's and meet some requirements before they can start demolition work. Uh, because it's just not as simple as calling a bulldozer and knocking something down. You have to cap sewers and there's any, there's lots of things you have to do. Mm. So they still need to uh, meet some requirements uh, to do the demolition. Uh, I'm not quite sure how soon that will be. Uh, the fencing that is up seems to indicate that it's sooner than later. And uh, they will demolish and clear the property. Uh, to be built in its place will be a mixed-use development. Um, I will try to learn a little more about this. I put a call into uh, Duke Investment Real Estate is uh, who the uh, they are involved in this in some way. And there's also an MGM Mill Run LLC um, and a Duke Investment Real Estate. Um, they're uh, there are entities that are listed on the demolition permit and the variance and the other things, the paperwork that's going through the city of Columbus to get this approved. Um, I do have a phone number. I only called yesterday, so I haven't got a call back yet. Uh, so the, the forthcoming story might not have as many details as a follow-up story will, but um, I do have the basics here. Um, the variance is approved um, for 225, $235 apartment units, including ground floor residential units, uh, 1,829 square feet of commercial space uh, on five acres, uh, which is about 58,000 square feet of 58,000 square feet commercial shopping center. Tell me about um, the go-karts, Kevin. So, uh, the go-kart, there Kevin, is interest. Tell me, tell me about the go-karts, There Kevin. is interest in a go-kart track. <laughs> and... Uh, you but that that is not part of this develop. This is not that is not part of this uh, three right. parcels that'll become the apartments in the mixed use. Right, right, right. But elsewhere there is interest, um, and I and I need to find out a little more about that. K one is something with a K in it. I think that's correct. Um, I'm just I'm so interested in that there might be a, a public go kart facility with a speed limit comparable to that <laughs> 600 foot by 600 foot asphalt pad that they're talking about putting in as a training <laughs> pad for the most dangerous profession in the country. Mm. <laughs> uh, that's, that's marvelous. Uh, I think mill run in stages over the years has gone through various levels of redevelopment and turnover. I first came to Columbus in the early two thousands and Kevin and I met when we, I worked at Damon's and he was uh, a trivia hound 
and and friend yeah. to, and friend to the staff and an all around good guy. But we were all there at a time when that whole row of restaurants along that street changed uses and changed purposes at least once. I I think everything but Fridays on that side of the street and Damon's at some point turned over. But there's been a need to address the overall perception of that side of the development. It's gotten somewhat professionalized. There were some uh, Ohio State offices that moved in there and some medical offices that moved in there. And a lot of the places around the periphery have held strong throughout uh, all the different ups and downs of the last 20 years or so. That several gyms, uh, several salons, some different things have changed as far as the dining options through Mill Run and the, that area. But that makes sense to me as the kind of infill development that we see in the community plan suggested uh, just as what crops up because that site is uniquely already of a character where something like that could fit in traffic is not really a concern because the neighbor it's not a neighborhood it's a commercial uh development it's got plenty of square footage plenty of parking space that can be converted things that don't have to be demolished per se to to make way for a, a development of that size and scale so i wouldn't doubt if that doesn't see the hue and cry that a lot of other developments might or have what do you think about that? I mean, so far the word on it's been pretty minimal, but we're finding out more. And as people, you know, come to the information, we'll see if it develops the heat that some of these other places have. But somehow I doubt it. Yeah, it seems like no matter what they try at Mill Run, uh, <clears throat> some places seem to do okay, and then other places turn over a lot. I think the out parcels do fine i think the starbucks that's there does good yeah. business but for instance that place that's now a popeyes has turned over three four times from between the time it was a burger king or whatever but that's one of those interior properties that's in an odd spot and everything else i think what you're suggesting is maybe this higher caliber more powerful redevelopment might be the jump start that the overall property is looking for but i don't know maybe that's overly optimistic I don't know. I I hope so. I would love to see that, you know, be thriving. You know, we go to Cam pretty often. That's a that was a great addition to Hilliard. Incredible. Incredible ad. That place is awesome. Just from a um, selection standpoint and a diversification standpoint, you can really supplement your diet and supplement things that are kind of more of the same that you're used to as having been an Ohio resident for any length of time with some real diversity of dishes. Yeah. Just so by pulling stuff off the shelf and following the instructions. Yeah, just, well, you, I can't read the instructions, and it's just aisle after aisle of amazing Hold exotic your, stuff. Hold your phone up to the label and see what happens now. Oh. <laughs> i'm not sure i agree with that but well you know, you know but what i love my favorite thing about mill run right now is it popeyes is on my way home if uh -huh. i drive through mill run <laughs> not just a little out of it's a slightly no, circuitous and those, <laughs> those are foil wrappers, right? Those are foil, are those foil wrappers at Popeyes this, on the sandwiches? I think so. Those fold up real nice and tight. You can just tuck those down into a garbage bag, and no, and no spouses are ever the wise. Just stop at the garbage can on my way into the house. That's also technically on on the way. Nicely done. Well, Someone probably find it. Well, hopefully there are no uh, openings in the Hoffman household to be filled by anyone else, but there are currently openings on several different commissions in the city uh, government administration mm. and they're yes. trying to fill planning and zoning and board of zoning review uh, commission positions Kevin you've got an update on that that details how many applicants that turned in before the deadline which was September 8th and Correct. do you have any information on whether they'll be extending that deadline um, uh, no they've closed applications and they have 23 applicants uh, quickly, the, it's K1 Speed that has interest in the go kart. Oh, thank you for and the go kart at, update. It's at 3700 Fissinger Boulevard. So, oh yeah, the big address. Um, I'll have to look exactly where that is along Fissinger Boulevard. But this is on the other side of the street from where they from Movies 11 and uh, where they're going to do the mixed use. Can I tell you what I don't like about 
the last go-kart place I went to. Sure. Where was it? <laughs> Scene 75. Ooh, I don't know anything about that. Is that the big plaza? The Tuttle. big Tuttle That's Plaza? That's a Tuttle. Okay. Scene 75 is cool if you want to have a kid's party or go play games or stuff. It's not really my thing. But they have the go-karts in there, which I was like, go-karts? That's awesome. Mm. They're electric, mm. which on paper seems okay, but they can turn off your go-kart remotely, which is half the fun of go-karts before Tim. was driving away from the guy in charge yelling at you to stop. Now they just make you stop. Right. What, what the, what's the <laughs> fun of that? But what? Go ahead and tell the people what you did to prompt them to turn off your go-kart. I didn't even get oh, in one. You just got told that that was the case. I no, I that. saw it happen. I'm like, I'm, that's not fun. I'm not doing it. As the race concludes, they just kill the whole track, and everybody just comes to a... Yeah. I'm that's, like, no. Yeah, that's sad. No. Yeah. Yeah, no. that's a little sad. And perhaps I am a bad sport, and that's fine. Well, they're not bumper cars, but they're also not supposed to be... Uh, all chained together. I think the the idea is that you can go out there and win, right? You're supposed to have fun competing with your friends. Like, what's the fun of playing Mario Kart if they can just all stop them at the same time? Like, you got to be able to beat them right. with you the gotta blue shell. You got to be shell. able to get the inside track and edge somebody out. Oh, you yeah. trade a little paint. You don't bash into them. Have you seen the thing <laughs> they made a like a real life Mario Kart track in the open street in Japan somewhere? I'd have to look that up again. I don't know if that was just like a limited time engagement, but they had like stuff you threw at people while you were driving, maybe. I don't those, know. That seems crazy. But people, I remember those it. Japanese people are amazing. Yeah, I have a solid memory of it. They but, do uh, cool stuff some of the time. <laughs> when <laughs> when will they make a decision we on have, these? Uh, they want uh, the there'll be appointing six. Uh, members of planning and zoning, uh, six new members were six open seats to fill mm. um, out of seven. Um, so this is significant. Uh, they will be in place by the end of October. Uh, so they should make their choices, make their selections at uh, the f their second meeting in October, the third Monday in October. Uh, but they went on board those uh, candidates and or members rather and um, bring them up to speed on projects in the city, as well as to provide some um, training in terms of open meetings, sunshine laws, uh, sunshine laws um, those sorts of things. Now, so. we had asked a question about where some of that training was going to come from, mm. and Cynthia and Dan indicated that they were going to be contracting with somebody who does this kind of planning work. And that points to maybe a question that Tim had about what's the, what is the structure of this of this training? Is it a suggestion for a process? Is it a letter of the law? Is it maybe um, coloring people's decision-making or is it more um, telling people what their honest role is in the government process and, and where they can act from a, a place of integrity without uh, creating a situation that they regret and, and serving in a way that they, they never wanted to like the idea that you would put your name in for this kind of work. Mm -hmm. And they talked about how burdensome and how vol voluminous the, the amount of work that these planning and zoning commissions are asked to do. And in, in review is uh, the idea that you would want to do that job poorly or not in accordance with law. That doesn't make sense. So, right. That could create real, real trouble. We just want to make sure that the, the training is focused around mm -hmm. letting people serve uh, with integrity and to the best of their ability and to the letter of the, uh, of the law, for sure. There are going to be four new members um, on the commission uh, beca because four current members are not seeking reappointment. Uh, so that's Tracy Nixon, uh, Tom Panette, Eric Gutconnect, and Bill Utley, a former city councilman, um, will also uh, not be a member of the commission it would appear because th they did not apply to be reappointed. Um, Jay Muther um, is is on the commission. He's chair of the commission, and he, unless he were to step off, will be on the commission because his seat, his term is not up. Getting this done in October is ahead of the December 
timeline that they Correct. were Correct. All these terms expire for the other members. Uh, incumbent members are Chris Louie and Vivon Schneck, who um, both applied interest in being reappointed. Uh, there's 24 in all they're going to consider. Um, I won't read the whole list off, but um, I do recognize several have showed interest. O'Neill Saunders has been on committees in the past. Uh, Aaron Epling is an attorney here in town. Uh, Michaela Hunt is a TV personality, right? Yeah. Um, I, yeah. So, yeah, she's a she's on broadcast news, broadcast journalist. And I do not recognize some of these other names. So I think this is a pretty good indicator that some new people want to be interested in the city. Um, and at the level of volunteering because this will be a volunteer board they won't be they won't receive any compensation for this like commission members did in the past uh, so um, the rest of these names I don't recognize but um, I'm glad to see this many stepped up to uh, have an interest in development in the city Thank she's you. covered the state house and it says here she works for the Ohio Department of Commerce we'll have to check oh, into that and make sure is that's she a farmer is she off She's not lo no longer on air. Uh, yeah, she's still got a Twitter handle under uh, Michaela Hunt News. Let's see how what when the most recent post is. September twelfth, Ohio Com Ohio Commerce related, so it's probably, um, probably accurate. Uh, the city council has executive session September twenty fifth. They will review these twenty four names. Um, Peggy Hale, who is a representative, Councilwoman Peggy Hale, who's the representative liaison to planning and zoning, uh, they are going to, among themselves, during executive session, pair this list down to about 12, uh, maybe 13 or 14 if they feel strongly about uh, that number of candidates they want to personally interview. And then they'll bring in 12 or 13 or so uh, to come in for personal uh, interviews. Um, before making their decision as to which six they're going to choose to sit on the commission. Okay. Well, that's about as clear as it gets. And uh, thank you for running all that down. We can expect a, a full story on those appointments um, when yeah, they come together. I'll have a story. I'll put the names in the story yeah, of, of the other of the those who applied for it and explain the timeline. Yep. A hundred percent. Now let's go ahead and segue into the most recent happening which is monday night's meeting of city council kevin you were there i was at the city council meeting Correct. Uh, meanwhile the board of education was meeting simultaneously right and that's where there was some discussion at the board meeting uh yeah that happens pretty regularly in hilliard where both bodies meet on they, the same they do meet monday. on the same monday and there was an effort made maybe five years ago to so as to prevent that, there was an effort made for city council and the school board not to meet at the same time. And they did that for a while, and they don't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I, they should they, meet at they, the they same went time back. in the same room. Uh, right. <laughs> that would be Dueling banjo that would be style. interesting. No. Trading speech. Mm, Just mash no. it all together mm, all yeah. at once. Because um, there, 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 there are times where there's cross uh, – Topics yeah. come up just well, like at the board meeting. Cross pollination is kind of at the heart of <laughs> the disagreement that we're going to detail here, Kevin. I just want I want to let you just kind of take it. You were there, Tim and I. We both watched. I was not at the board meeting. Board of I, Education. I watched it meeting. like you did. I wasn't there. But you were you were at City Council. Yes. Right. Correct. So okay, take us through City Council, mundane, normal, whatever. It, that was a normal city council meeting. It, it was done in, in an hour, well, maybe a little more than an hour. Uh, nothing dramatic was discussed or debated. Okay. Um, but across town, but city, across town, city business came up. Mm. And it came it up did. big, <laughs> which is kind of at the crux of how the, the meeting broke. Uh, whether or not city business uh in short order and apparently to several board members surprise mm. belonged at the top of a school board agenda so kevin please take it from there um, again i watched uh the start of this meeting i haven't watched every minute of it but and i have uh spoken through text messages to several of the board members but on the agenda monday was a resolution uh, and it was a board resolution therefore be it resolved the board expresses its concerns with a comprehensive plan 
with the comprehensive plan's amount of density and lack of alignment with the Hillard City School District's master facilities plan. The board urges Hillard City Council to maintain current zoning and supports a pause and reevaluation of the comprehensive plan to take in consideration the impact of this plan on Hillard Schools. They call it the comprehensive plan. We've called it the community plan here. They are one and the same. Yes, they are an interchangeable term. There is a meeting Sunday from 3 to 6 p.m. at Odie's uh, called Save Hilliard and spearheaded by Councilman Les Carrier and Council President Omar Tarazi uh, to discuss this community plan and their concerns about the community plan and the development that it uh, suggests, um, which, as we discussed in previous podcasts, first needs to be put in the city code at all and then each of those developments if that were to even happen you'd have develop you've had development proposals coming to city council and planning and zoning before the right. trustees before the board of, before the school board and would go through all the hurdles that any development goes through as somebody who's reported on this stuff for <clears throat> 24 years and people who are similarly interested <clears throat> or at least somewhat interested we <clears throat> understand that this is a process and this is a process that has different contributors and people that bring efforts, money, whatever to the table that make that process go. Uh, but what I think is is being uh, debated in this council, and not in this council meeting, excuse me, but in this school board meeting is that this is not the aperture of the school board's job per se. That is what Kara Crowley clearly called out that this was noise, I think is the term she used. Uh, the Board of Education is tasked with many things, and, and she felt that the subject matter of that particular resolution really didn't have a place in the board's efforts to educate students. She mentioned several times she was confused and felt that the hand of political motivations based on the fact that this community plan had been finalized a number of months ago. Several things had been decided. Correct. There were uh, reports and things that were generated by um, what's the something strategies or what's the body that does that generates the Hilliard schools that demographic report we've been looking at. I'm sorry. I'll need to look that stuff up. Maybe we'll provide some links in the podcast description. There's um, some some confusion about who's who's putting things forward, right, and and for what purposes. So Kara's suggestion that it's politically motivated. It comes about many months after the plan has been decided, but two months before, right before an election, an election, and right before this Save Hilliard meeting, and. Uh, she went on to suggest that uh, the council people might have had a hand in actually generating the the material on the agenda. So um, that's a that's a question, and that's a question for adherence to different public reporting rules and who's meeting who and who's working with who to generate material that's appearing in public meetings and appearing on public agendas and to what purpose and to what end. I can understand everybody, and this is right at the heart of why we're doing a lot of what we're doing is we need to get people in. We need to get people involved in this stuff. We need to get people understanding more of how it gets generated and what goes on in these meetings. And development is going to happen mm -hmm. because regardless of how it's portrayed in any campaign video to get elected to office, it's generated by development interest and development capital which is looking for a place to become more capital by mm -hmm. creating more development. So lacking development, there is no, lacking that component, there is no overall development. There is no panic. But it's one of those things that can be used to generate a sense of panic. And to see that deployed in a school board meeting, I think, might uh, indicate why... Kara reacted so strongly uh, to it and might indicate, I don't know, there's, there's a sense that this is appearing in all the different branches of local government. We've looked at uh, some documents going back to March from a Norwich Township trustee meeting where 
development was being discussed, and we're going to report more on this as things go on and as the election cycle matures and as we have various candidates in here, there is a sense that there is a reaction against the kind of residential development that is supposed to be taking place in central Ohio. And I want both of your perspectives on residential development briefly. I mean, Kevin, I think you're a, you report other people decide, but you've mm-hmm. seen Hilliard through the eras. Uh, development takes its course here, yes? And it different does. administrations <clears throat> have had development conduct and happen in different ways but the suggestion that this is so wildly different than what's come before i don't know how that how that matches up with your perception of how hilliard's grown talk to us a little bit about it how hilliard's grown over the years hilliard has like most suburban cities um has grown i think it's done it in a responsible manner and i don't think it's the development's been much different from what's occurred in other cities some of the things in the comprehensive plan would be things we haven't seen before in the community plan. Uh, some of the suggestions are things more mixed use, but that's where development is going. I think that's why Mill Run is going to reimage in different ways, in different parcels develop. It'll be developed in a 20, 25 mindset and not what was built in the 1980s. Mm. Um, so um, I think this city council or even future city councils will still take the same due diligence to look at every project that comes along and to decide if a two-story or three-story building is is uh, fits well in where it's being proposed. Right. I just think that community plan is parameters largely mm-hmm. and to treat it as though it's a it's a call to call to action, I don't know. These guys have suggested that it sets the table for developers. Uh, to envision Hilliard a very particular kind of way. Mm. Tim, talk about what your experience going through the residential housing market in Hilliard and around Hilliard has been over the years. You first came and you stayed in apartments off Davidson. You mm-hmm. moved out uh, into the hinterlands for several years, actually, yep. into a single-family house with a, a pretty significant yard. And then you're now in town. So talk to us a little bit about that, how it's been for you navigating that. Well, so while we lived in Amlin in our, and we loved our little house, it was a hundred years old. It was under a thousand square feet. Um, the happiest years of my life so far I spent in that house. Uh, by the time we left, it was way too small. My kids are, you know, they're 13 and nine now. Burgeoning. Right. They were <laughs> 12 and nine when we moved. Uh, so, you know, one bathroom wasn't, wasn't cutting it. Um, the entire time we lived in Amlin, uh, every day, uh, every day of the world, my wife Casey would scour listings uh, because we were not inclined to buy a home uh, uh, for many reasons. Uh, you know, that's not always uh, the best use of all of the money you can scrape together in the world. Um, most of uh, most of my available funds I plow back into my businesses. Um, that's how our that's how our relationships are largely constructed. Is like all that stuff is driven back into the enterprise for a lot of things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, for seven years, Casey looked and looked. And a couple of times we went and looked at places that came up for rent in Hilliard. Uh, I think uh, like three years apart, we went and looked at the same tiny house uh, that was like like many hundreds dollars, many hundreds of dollars more expensive per month. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, we're not gaining enough space. We're not, we're spending more money uh, you know that it's not worth the move yeah to buy in now would be foolish at that at that price point right. in that square footage yeah and so for you know folks you, you know we're not a, we don't have a tremendously high household income I, I forego a lot of income in order to be self-employed and to spend a lot of time with my kids sure. um, and so our options are limited and for uh it took years and years for something to click into place to get us into town a lot of circumstances have to happen just right. When I moved 
uh, and Becca and I got married, when we moved from our apartment over on Main Street, Roberts, well, not Main Street, Rome Hilliard, Maine, mm. as they as they call it. Right. As the story goes, we moved from an apartment into our home that we live in now, mm-hmm. and we bought in just as the peak of the market hit mm-hmm. before uh, 08 financial collapse. Right. But now the house has added $120,000 in value. Right. And I think when we talk about the residential housing situation in Hilliard, that's Beacon. That is a development that is on the south side of Cemetery Road, and it's been there since the 50s and 60s. And that is stock that is beautiful and on streets that feel like home Mm -hmm. and i love my neighborhood and i you'll have to get me out of there with a crowbar uh but the homes there are lived in by people that can barely support the new uh the new valuations right these things have come out now where these people have aged in place in these homes and now they're asked to pay taxes on a house that's hundreds of thousands of dollars Right. Uh, and I think it's important if we're, we're talking about housing in Hilliard, this situation didn't come about in a vacuum. This isn't just housing. That's yeah, a regional ecosystem. It's it's a whole we're dealing we're coming into. It's so strange because we've had the combination of uh, almost zero percent interest rates. For two decades? Yeah. The financialization mm-hmm. game has hit a brick wall and, since the rates have climbed. And the astounding rate of money printing that we've had from the Fed and stuff. So we're seeing, at the same time, not a great expansion of housing stock in Hilliard. Like, you know, single-family homes that are getting built are like the... High end on the edges. Yeah, they're, you know, they're all half a mil. Yeah. Uh, uh, some uh, apparently people have that not to a put use, into a house. not a useful starter, but again, high value homes are helpful because then banks are allowed to put them on their books for thirty years and carry them and borrow against them and borrow against people's agreements to pay those mortgages. It's oh, it's they're very and it's useful for the city too because of the property taxes that they pull on a half a million dollar home is obviously right. they'd much rather build those than a, than a house I can afford. Right. And so, all right, well, that's, which that's, I, that's the game. I, you know, it's my fault that I don't value money more than I do, I guess. <laughs> but I think, I think that highlights the, the goal of a thing like the community plan is to create a framework where developers, large and small, can see what a city's hopes and aspirations are. And maybe we take a situation like, and I mentioned this to Dan and Cynthia, and I'll mention this to Les and anybody that'll listen, so I think you need to change zoning around single-family housing so that you can construct multiple units or duplexes or tries, even quads, in neighborhoods that traditionally have only supported single-family. You can take a couple of lots or you can take a single lot and create three dwellings uh, out of one outdated piece of house. And I think that in keeping with neighborhoods, in keeping with uh, families having their own space, uh, but incorporating more density i think people should look at that beyond just five over ones or four over ones or whatever they suggest for main corridor development yeah um i I think i wonder about that's on its surface that sounds good and i wonder what the second and third order effects would be well i mean the second and third order effects would only be as uh intense as the level of development occurring and then it can be evaluated and adjusted i think to cultivate a base of small contractors willing to take on projects of various sizes within the city pulling permits doing business regularly making use of smoother zoning processes and smoother permit pulling processes that the administration is trying to make a a focus of their of their work that makes sense to me to create a local burgeoning economy on the scale that you and I are used to dealing with as opposed to courting huge chunks of development. Right. Those will come because that money has to get spent. Right. That money has to get spent productively. So that money is there, and if it's to be, it will. 
uh, because they will make sure it happens. And I think there's no denying that. I think there's no uh, questioning that if the money's there, the development will march forward at whatever pace, uh, but it will march. So, But I think, uh, you know, hopefully folks are going to be zooming in and taking a look at what is the present state of zoning in Hilliard? What is allowed? What is not allowed? Because we're looking at, you know, uh, changing zoning to allow taller buildings in various parts of Hilliard. All right. What does that mean? You want to talk about changing zoning in the residential areas to allow different kinds of structures. I think uh, starting conversations, examining, uh, you know, people should care about the zoning uh, in in their city, well, and this in their is, neighborhood. And so hopefully, you know, we can start conversations and get people to pay attention to that kind of thing, because these are the underlying, you know, these are the underlying rules that ultimately shape what our neighborhoods look like. That are always functioning. Yes. Yes. Right. And so we need to be tuned into that and 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 be very aware when we go to when we go to adjust things, we have to uh, be tuned into. All right. What really what are we doing? Well, all these openings really are a great jumping on point for people to start learning what this stuff is about as these people that actually serve in these positions Mm -hmm. are learning what this stuff is about. And hopefully some of our reporting will point people to resources where they can join in and follow along. The city has done a good job in the last several years of improving its archival system for recording meetings and producing transcripts of meetings, agendas, and all that stuff. So we'll make sure to point everybody in the direction of those resources. And Kevin's focus, as always, will remain on the community. The resolution before the Board of Education, by the way, on Monday failed. Uh, Kara Crowley first attempted a motion to withdraw it from the agenda altogether. That was 2-2. In the absence of Nadia Long, board member Nadia Long, that measure failed 2-2. So it stayed on the agenda. When they got to the end of the meeting, they, took, they had some further discussion. Uh, and in between that, there were several uh, community members that addressed the board. Did you want to speak to any of that, you want to speak Tim? to that, Tim? I did not listen to that uh, part um, of the meeting. Yeah, there were four, maybe five people. And um, interesting points they brought up, one of which was, you're talking about the Hilliard uh, community, community plan, plan, whereas only 40% of students in Hilliard schools actually live in Hilliard proper Mm. Uh, the largest municipality sending students to Hilliard schools is Columbus Mm -hmm. and so why aren't you after Columbus because uh, a lot of these high density developments are going in in Columbus land not Hilliard Mm. Um, there was a woman from who lives in Dublin and uh, her kid goes to Washington elementary and you know she had some interesting things to say about so i'm in the school district but i have no say i have no vote you know when i lived in amlin you know that was a that was a township school and so i didn't get to vote in hilliard elections i had no buy-in or or place in the process of developing this i'm not i don't recall what her larger point was but uh in a lot of cases people were coming out swinging against that resolution and in favor of uh, the community plan. Uh, one lady was furious, um, like furious, uh, spitting uh, furiously uh, about Les Carrier's uh, comment at the, at the township meeting. Um, yes. So, I, you know, I st- I'm still waiting to hear that comment in, in, in context. I will say that in the meeting notes, it is conspicuous that that is the quote. Yeah, but that's the only thing in quotations. That's not context. I understand. And the good news is we're going to have lesson on Thursday of next sometime. We're going to leave next the Thursday. time frame nebulous. About 4 p.m. Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. Gosh, now we're, on the, now we're on the book. Now if he backs out, <clears throat> now it's going to look bad for less. Okay, so well, I don't we'll want that. Don't this want is, that this isn't a live podcast. This is our listeners a one-take pod. We do not edit unless Jordan makes a terrifying mistake. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, I think we need to mention a couple more things before we move along. The resolution ultimately failed two to two, just yes. to wrap that up. Thank you. On the same two to two vote. So 
it'll be interesting you mentioned, and I think that's a follow-up question, is when this will come up again. I have asked if they intend to bring it before the board again uh, when all five members are present. Mm-hmm. I do not have an answer to that yet. Okay. Uh, uh, Zach Vorst uh, and uh, President uh, Beth Murdoch voted uh, in favor of the resolution, and Kara Crowley and Brian Perry voted against it, and yeah. Adia Long was absent. Well, uh, normally they have five people there to make sure stuff like mm-hmm. that doesn't happen. And when they don't have five people there, stuff like that happens. So we'll see if it comes up again, and we will bring that information to you folks out there in listener land and reader land. Mm. Because I, I've noticed that not as many of you listen to us as read, Kevin. So we're going to work on that. But, but thank you for listening. But thank you, you for listening. And uh, finally, in conclusion, we'll just mention again that the next thing on our agenda is to uh, attend a couple things coming up in the next weeks. We have that Save Hilliard meeting that's been organized by two candidates that were considering an election campaign event uh, where they're going to discuss their vision of Hilliard, hopefully, and not just their opposition to uh, someone else's vision of Hilliard. Well, actually, their vision of Hilliard, too, since they were both on council for the full development of the comprehensive or slash community plan. But we will see what those folks have to say at Odie's on uh, the 17th from 3 to 6 p.m. Come right. say hi. We'll Come be say there. hi to us. We'll be handing out uh, cards for the Hilliard Beacon at both Odie's and the Crooked Can and trying to spread the word about our job here, providing you... Uh, the latest information regarding your community. And then we also have, two days later, the Meet the Candidates event put on by the Chamber of Commerce. Correct, Kevin? Is that right? The Chamber hosts Candidates Night, yes. Right. So that event follows right on the heels of this uh, meeting at Odie's. So we will be, in one form or another, attending both, bringing you information from both of those events, and hopefully providing some on-the-spot quotes, comments, mm-hmm. and maybe potentially video of the happening. So in order for us to continue doing that and more of this, we need your support. Please subscribe at the Hilliard Beacon Substack, either in a paid form. We can do that monthly, annually, or in the founder membership form. We really appreciate those, by the way. Uh, we would love to have you on board in any capacity. Because the work we're doing here can only continue with your support, and uh, we look forward to doing more of it for you in the future. So, gentlemen, unless you have anything else to add, let's call it a day. What do you say? A day. A day. A day. A day of life. We're done. Bye.